Christmas Church. If I haven't met you before, my name is Brian. I'm the creative pastor here at CTK Bellingham, and I'm excited to be with you this weekend before Christmas. And I wanted to share with you about a couple months back, uh, my whole family got sick. If you have never met my family or you don't know who I'm talking about, um, it's just me and my wife, Kristen, and uh, our little sweet girl, Brooklyn. I actually brought a picture to show you, and all God's people said, ah, oh. oh, praise the Lord. But anyway, this sweet girl, Brooklyn, she was cutting teeth. She had her molars coming in, her yearly molars. And so she was quite uncomfortable. And Kristen had come down with some sort of cough. And I had kind of this flu thing. And so all of us were feeling pretty terrible. And for the record, I actually used to like look forward to being sick when I was a kid. It was one of these deals where I didn't have to go to school. I got to eat as many popsicles as I wanted. And I got to watch as many movies as I wanted. And even to this day, that still sounds like a 10 of a 10, like kind of a day. <laughs> but I've got to tell you, being sick as an adult is nowhere near as fun. You feel just as bad as you did when you were a kid, but now nobody actually cares. <laughs> and none of your responsibilities really seem to go away. And it's far less socially acceptable to eat multiple boxes of popsicles than it was when you were a kid. And so it's across the board, just kind of bad news. And so our whole family was sick. We were feeling pretty uncomfortable. And then my buddy Ryan actually texted me and he said, Brian, are you going to be around this weekend? Is your family in town? I said, yes, but we're kind of out of commission. Uh, whatever it is that you're wanting to do, I probably can't do it because we're just going to be chilling at home. And he's like, that's, that's totally chill, I understand. And I didn't think too much about it until a couple hours later. And all of a sudden, there was a knock on the door. And I looked out the window and sure enough, there was Ryan. And what he had done is he had multiple bags of groceries for us. And he had cough medicine and he had soup and he actually came to the door and he said, listen, I know that you're sick and we can't go out and have fun right now, but I just wanted to let you know, I'm not really sure what you needed. So I got a little bit of everything. I don't know what you guys like to eat. So I just bought a little bit of everything and I got this stuff for you and I don't want to impose myself. I'm not going to stay long, but I needed you to know that I'm thinking about you. I'm praying for you. I love you. And I hope that you feel better soon. And man, I got to tell you, it's this simple gesture, but it did something profound in our hearts. We were talking about it a week later. We're like, how beautiful was this thing? And it doesn't take much, guys. All that it takes is showing up and just giving something of value. I'm not here to impose. I just want to give you this. I see you. I love you. I hope that you feel better. 
This literally did something in our hearts. We were so profoundly impacted by just somebody showing up when they weren't even asked to. We felt so seen, so cared for, and so loved. And fast forward a couple weeks later, and I was up early playing with Brooklyn. We were listening to Frozen because that's what Brooklyn likes to listen to these days. She loves Anna and Elsa. But we were building towers out of blocks, and I hadn't had any coffee yet, so I was just kind of half there, to be honest. I was a bit groggy, just trying to keep my eyes open and be uh, an engaged parent. When all of a sudden, I heard a knock on the door. And I looked through the window to see who it was, and immediately my blood pressure started going up. It was a couple of very nice people, and the reason it went up is because they'd, they'd been by the week before, and they, they were by the week before that and the week before that. And it was some very nice people who wanted to talk to me about religion. I like talking about religion. It's, it's like what I do for a living. <laughs> but it's all about the context. And it was 8 a.m. And I was on my day off and I was with my girl. And I just wanted a little bit of daddy-daughter time. And I don't know, but my blood pressure just went up. Does that make me a bad human? I'm not sure. But they saw me through the window, and so I couldn't act like I wasn't home. <laughs> and so I put on my big boy pants, and I went over and put a big smile on my face, and I opened up that door, and I said, hey, guys, how you doing? And over the next five minutes, I tried to end that conversation. Each minute that was going by, I was just kind of slowly closing the door to see if they would kind of get it. But as hard as I tried, it didn't seem like they wanted to end the conversation. Finally... Brooklyn started crying because she doesn't like strangers forcing their opinions on her that early in the morning. <laughs> she says, it's got to be at least 10 o'clock before that kind of stuff happens. And so finally, I had to say, thank you for caring about my heart so much that you're here this morning. But I got a crying baby. You have upset the baby, and you are now going to have to leave. That's how this works. And so I ended up shutting the door politely. I'm just kidding. I didn't do anything terrible or negative. I was trying to reflect Jesus. But I was like, guys, I got to go. My girl needs me. I need to give her some cuddles. And so that was that. And I took a couple deep breaths. I was, and I went and brewed a big cup of coffee. But it was in that moment that I realized that a knock on the door is neither good or bad. What makes it good or bad is who's on the other side. Whether I get excited or panicked has nothing to do with the sound of the knock. It actually has everything to do with the one doing the knocking. It got me thinking that that's a lot like Christmas. Because right now, whether you like it or not, Christmas is at your door and it's knocking. I just looked up the hours counter. It's about 63 hours until Christmas. You can take that to the bank. It's what the internet told me. So whether you are prepared or not, here it comes. It's on your door. It's knocking. And for some of you, that's like the best news you've ever heard in your life. You've had your lights up, and since mid-October, you've been listening to Christmas music for multiple months, and I have been doing my absolute best not to judge you. <laughs> and you've got presents under the tree, and your house smells like Christmas cookies because this is just the most wonderful time of the year. Praise God. But for some of the rest of us, maybe there's some of you in here that Christmas might not be all that jolly. It's not all candy canes and cookies. Maybe for you, this Christmas season is filled with a little bit of grief. Maybe for you, this Christmas is a little bit hard because you lost somebody this year. Maybe it was a friend. Maybe it was a family member. Maybe you lost a job and there's still all this pressure to spend. 
And so for you, Christmas is coming, and it might not be as welcome of news as it is to some of the other people. And so it's the same Christmas that stands at the door, but whether you believe it's good or bad is a matter of perspective. It matters, of, it matters what story that you are currently walking through. And if you look a step deeper at the actual story that Christmas is actually telling, it's a simple story. The story is this, Emmanuel, God came to be with us. Jesus is here. He's knocking on the door. But again, whether or not that's good news depends on whether or not you think that Jesus is good news. And so if Jesus has done something profound in your heart, if he has given you a hope and a purpose, then the news that Jesus has come is the best news you've ever heard. But for some other people that might have felt like Jesus wasn't there in the way that they wanted him to when they needed him, or maybe they've had some experiences with people who claim Christianity as what they're about, they say this Jesus is the one that I'm following and they haven't had the best experience, then maybe the news about the coming Christ is a little bit more apprehensive. Because here's the thing we need to know. We don't simply celebrate Christmas because a baby was born. We celebrate because of who that baby would become. So it's not that 2,000 years ago there was this baby. It's no, this baby was the start. It was the catalyst of the story that we now get to celebrate. And at this church, we celebrate the fact that Christmas celebrates the baby who would become the pure and spotless lamb who would give himself as a ransom for many. Can I get an amen? Amen. amen. And today I want to talk to you about the heart of that Jesus. Because no matter what your circumstances are, we can still find hope and healing and beauty in this Christmas story if we look hard enough. So I want to pray for us, if you wouldn't mind closing your eyes and bowing your heads. Lord Jesus, we acknowledge that this season, hidden behind all the tradition and all the lights and the decor, is this compelling, miraculous story, God, of you seeking out humanity in such a profound and beautiful way. And so, God, we acknowledge that Christmas is yours. God, we acknowledge that we uh, are in desperate need of a Savior, God, and it is such good news that you came all those years ago because you loved us. God, it's not about our neighbor. It's that you actually love us specifically. God, you see us even now in this room. So, Holy Spirit, would you move? God, you have our full attention. We want to learn. We want to be challenged. We want to actually... Um, be pulled towards the mission that you have for us this Christmas season. We love you, Lord. We give all the glory to you. We pray all this in your name. Amen. Amen. So today we're going to look at a couple different scriptures. The first one is John chapter 12. And uh, I just want to look at a couple verses. It's going to be kind of our launching point today. And this is one of the places in scripture where Jesus actually tells us firsthand exactly what he came to do. So over the course of this series, we've been learning that Jesus didn't like keep his mission close to the chest. He actually said, this is what I'm going to do. He called his shot. He explicitly said, I am here to do this. Now watch me do it. And then he did it. And so Jesus said, this is what I came to do. This is John 12. We're going to start in verse 46. There's a little bit more in your outline, but I just want you to look at these last two verses. He says, I have come into the world as a light. So that no one who believes in me should stay in the darkness. So here it is, light the way. Lord came, or I have come, Jesus came to be a light. So that no one who believes in me should stay in the darkness. And then in 47 it says, if anyone hears my words but does not keep them, I do not judge that person. For I didn't come to judge the world, but to save the world. 
says, I didn't come to judge the world, but to save the world. And I don't know about you or what you've experienced, but in my experience, I've met a lot of Christians who say that Jesus is their savior, but they still act like he's their critic. I've met a lot of people who think that Jesus is like looking over their shoulder like a cosmic judge with a scorecard and saying, how is he doing today? Just waiting for them to mess up. It's like, oh, you're speeding a little bit and even on the way to church, are you kidding me? I don't know, I got an ex next to your name today. It's not good news. It's like people think Jesus is out of this Christmas song, Santa Claus is coming to town. I don't know if you guys know this one. It says, he sees you when you're sleeping. He knows when you're awake. By the way, this is a very creepy song. (laughs) He knows if you've been bad or good, so be good for goodness sake. And it sounds so jolly and wonderful, but you're like, whoa, this is like big brother. This is like looking at me and judging me every step of the way. I don't know if this coming Christ, if this is kind of the essence of who he is. I don't know if that's good news. But in this scripture, Jesus sets the record straight. He says, that is not it it, at all. If that's who you think I am, and if that's why you think I came, then boy, did you ever miss it. I did not come to judge. I came to save. And now Jesus does sit up in the throne room, and he is our righteous judge. But when he came that Christmas, he did not come to judge. He came to show us a way where there was no way before. So I didn't come to judge, I came to save, I didn't come to condemn, I came to invite you close and to show you the loving heart of my Father. In Luke 19, Jesus takes it a step further. He says, I didn't just come to save, I came to seek and save the lost. Came to seek and save the lost. And this Christmas, I don't think there's a better place that we could look to understand this heart of Christ than in Luke chapter 15. And it's just three simple stories that that Jesus uses to describe God's heart for the lost. And they forever changed my heart and my life. And I've just been praying like crazy that you would get something out of these stories. You would see something new and it would actually remind you that Christmas is such good news. And so Jesus is talking to this big group of people and he starts telling these stories. And in the first story, he says, there's there's a shepherd who had a hundred sheep. And one of these hundred sheep gets lost and it falls behind. And when the shepherd realizes that one of his sheep has gone missing, instead of being content with the 99 that he already has, he actually goes out into the wilderness in search of this one sheep. The shepherd actually puts himself into harm's way. It goes up and it searches by day and by night and by day and by night until that one sheep is found. And when he finds the sheep, rather than scolding the sheep, what he does is you get to see the heart of the father with joy in his heart. He picks it up and he carries it all the way back to safety. And so for those of you keeping score, the sheep in this story, and by the way, the fact that God equates us to sheep because we are the sheep in this passage is mildly offensive because sheep are quite possibly the stupidest animal in the world. And so, Jesus, you could have been a little bit nicer as you typecast us, but that's okay. For the sake of this story, the sheep does absolutely nothing other than fall behind and get lost and stay lost. 
And so for those of you keeping track, the shepherd then is doing all of the seeking and he's doing all of the finding and he's doing all of the saving. And even after he saved him, he picks him up with joy in his heart and he carries him all the way back to safety. So the shepherd does it all. And if that's not crazy enough, friends, when the shepherd gets back to town, he calls his shepherd buddies and he says, guys, you got to come over. We're having a party. He says, guys, call the band. Let's get some catering going. Let's, let, let's strike up the fire. Everyone is invited. We are going to celebrate. This is going to be the best moment ever because the sheep that was lost is now found. He throws this huge party. He says, everyone's invited because this is cause for celebration. Stoke up the fire. This is going to be a night we will not soon forget. And I was thinking because I was an econ major a long time ago, back when I was in college. And if you look at this story in terms of dollars and cents, one of the things that you see is that this shepherd probably spent more money throwing the party than the sheep was worth. If we're just talking about dollars and cents, with all that money that he spent and all that time he spent, it probably would have made more sense for him to just get another sheep. It probably would have been a net positive if he just skipped out on the whole mountain adventure and he just said, you know what, I'm just interested in having 100, so I'm just going to buy another one for the neighbors. But we see in this story is that this shepherd wasn't just interested in another sheep. It was actually interested in that sheep. He's a God of the specific. This shepherd cares so much, not just about a sheep, but that sheep. And in this story, this shepherd is obsessed with saving the one. And that's because our God, in your outline, it says our God is obsessed with the one. And if you're wondering who the one is this Christmas, it's you. It's not your neighbor. In rooms like this, it's easy to just think it's talking about somebody else. But no, the one in this story is you. God sees you and he's profoundly interested in the posture of your heart. He wants to seek and save his pursuit of you is relentless, and he's not interested in another heart this Christmas. He's interested in your heart. Jesus goes on and tells a second story. This time he says, there's this woman, and she has ten silver coins. And one of the coins gets lost, but instead of being content with the nine that she still has... She flips over the entire house. She turns it inside out and upside down. She sweeps all day. And instead of pausing to sleep at night, she actually flips on the lantern. And she says, I'm going to keep on looking throughout the night until I find this coin. And after uh, an undisclosed amount of time, she just seeks, she seeks, she seeks. And finally, she finds her coin. And I'm sure all the listeners were wondering, why does this woman care so much about this coin? And I would argue that this is the reason why. She cared about the coin because she knew that even though the coin was lost, it never lost its value. Even though the coin was lost, it never lost its value. Church, I need you to hear this. Just because something gets lost doesn't mean it loses any of its value. And I kind of want us to, to think about it this way. This, this idea has really been burned into, into my heart this week, and it's been such an encouragement to me. And so I hope it'll be an encouragement to you. And so if you look at what I got here, and for the record, this is the only bill I could afford for this illustration. For those of you who can't see, it's a $1 U.S. bill. 
And so this week I, I did a little bit of research about how these, how these are made and what really gives them their value. And so the interesting thing is these were created by the Department of Treasury. And if you look right here, there's this, there's this little stamp. It's a little seal. It's the Department of Treasury seal. And without this seal, this bill is worthless. And that's the thing that gives it its value. And, and I was thinking about it, and, and what that really means for us is that if I wanted to, I could actually, I could crumple this up. Some of your hearts are dropping right now. Why is he, why is he hurting the bill? And if I wanted to, I could actually throw this on the ground. And this bill can actually get stepped on. And this bill, it could be on the side of the road. It doesn't matter how many cycles it goes through in your laundry. It doesn't matter if it gets tattered and torn. Because the good news that I found this week is that the value of this bill isn't tied to the condition that it's in. The value of this bill has always been and always be sealed by its maker. As long as this is here, this is worth every penny that it's always been worth. And so for this Christmas, I just want somebody to hear this. Just because you've been lost for a long time doesn't mean that you've lost a cent of your value. And it doesn't matter how much you feel like you have just been crumpled up and cast aside. It doesn't matter how many storms you feel like you've weathered or how many scars you've picked up along the way. Because the good news this Christmas and the good news of this story is that your value was never dependent on the condition that you find yourself in today. Your value was given the day you were created when you were sealed by your maker. And what that means is that there's nothing you could ever do that would change your value. And there's nothing that you could ever have done to you that would change your value. Your value has always been tied to your maker, not your condition. So you might be feeling tattered and torn, but I have good news for you, my friends, this Christmas. You are as valuable as you have ever been. You are more valuable than you've ever been. Right now in this moment, no matter what story is being told in your heart, and even if you feel worthless and you feel like your pennies on the dollar, that is a lie from the pit of hell. You are 100% valuable and you have a God who is turning over every cushion and looking for you and showing you that you are every bit as valuable as you've ever been. And so this woman, she is indignant about finding her beloved coin because she knows that although it's lost, it hasn't lost its value. And when she finds it, we see what happens in, in verse nine, it says, she calls her friends and neighbors together and she says, rejoice with me. I have found my lost coin. She says, we're having a party. My coin was lost, but now it's found. So bring your friends, bring your family, bring your pets. It doesn't matter. Everyone's invited. We are going to celebrate because it was lost and now it's found. And even though it was lost, it never lost any of its value. And now I have this valuable coin and we need to celebrate. We find out in this story that even if you've been lost for a long time, you have a God who is still seeking and saving and giving value where values do. And that's good news. So then Jesus tells one last story. And this is perhaps the greatest and best known story that Jesus ever told. He said there's a, there's a man with two sons. And something you need to know about the youngest son is 
he couldn't wait to get out of the house. He had big dreams and he thought that if he could just get his cut of the cash that maybe he could live the life that he always dreamed of living. So he's asked, he, he asked his father for his share of the inheritance, which in that culture was the equivalent of saying, Dad, I wish you would die because I have no interest in relationship with you. The only thing I'm interested in is, is what you have to give me. And the sooner you can give me that, the sooner I can be gone. And the father didn't have to, but out of love for his son, he divided everything he had. And so it wasn't as easy as it sounds. He had to sell livestock and he had to sell land and he divided every single thing and he gave his son a check. And this son took the money and skipped town. He squandered all of it. He moved to the city and scripture says he spent it on wild living. And if you know the story, you know that pretty soon this son, he hits rock bottom. And pretty soon the money dries up and when the money dries up, the, the friends dry up and when the friends dry up, you realize that maybe all those parties that you were throwing, those weren't actually your friends. And pretty soon the son is left with nothing and he's sitting in this field and he's feeding pigs because that's the only job that he can keep. And in that culture, this was shocking. Of all the jobs he could actually have, this was by far the most shocking turn of events that could have possibly happened. This is the lowest of the lows. But while he's sitting there feeding these pigs, he has this moment of clarity. He remembers his father. And he does the only thing he can think to do when he realizes that everything that he's been given, he's wasted. He thinks the only thing I can do right now is just pick myself up and start walking back towards my father's house. And he didn't know exactly what he was going to find when he was going to get there. He didn't know exactly what the consequence was going to be. All that he knew is that he drastically overestimated how sweet it was going to be to be on his own, to be the Lord of his own life. And so he heads home. And this is where we realize in the story that that this son never fully understood the heart of his father. Because what he starts doing on his way home, as he's walking step by step, he starts creating this speech. He says, Father, I have sinned against heaven and I've sinned against you. And I admit that I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. And so maybe you would just hire me on like one of your hired servants. And this son is practicing as he's walking home. He wants it to sound perfect because he thinks in his mind, maybe I'm only going to get one shot to have this conversation with my dad. And I want to make sure that I have this thought out every single word. So he's walking and he's thinking and he's prepping and he's saying, Father, I've sinned against heaven and I've sinned against earth and or I've sinned against you. And I know that I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But if you would just hire me on like one of your hired servants, I know that even the lowest on the totem pole in, in your economy is doing so much better than I am. And he's walking towards home and in one of the greatest verses I've ever heard in my life. It's the gospel, it's the story of Jesus all wrapped into a single line. It says this, it says, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and he had compassion. This son who had taken everything that he'd been given and he'd wasted it, he'd squandered it, he had made an absolute mess of things. But it says, while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and he was filled with compassion and he ran to his son and he threw his arms around him and he started kissing him. 
And this was like undignified. An old man who's like the patriarch of the family doesn't run in this culture. That's what kids do. But this father was so compelled just by the silhouette of his son on the horizon that he said, I am not waiting another second. I'm going after my son. We need to be reunited. And even as he is sitting there just being lavished with kisses, this son is so indignant. He says, I need to get out this speech that I worked so hard on. He says, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you, and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Would you just make me like one of your hired servants? But by this time, the servant or, or, or the servants had caught up with the father. And instead of listening to the speech, the father says, get the ring of authority. Get the robe that actually represents that he's back in the family. Get sandals for his feet. He says, let's fire up the grill. He says, let's call the neighbors. Let's kill that fattened calf. We are going to eat and we are going to drink and we are going to dance tonight because my son who was lost is now found and my son who is dead is now alive. And this Christmas, this is the Jesus who is knocking on your door. And if you're wondering, and if you've been longing uh, for something more, and you've just been uh, wayward, and you've just been living this life where you know that there's something more, this is the Jesus who's knocking on your door this Christmas. He's not mad at you for the things that you've done. He's actually madly in love with you, and he's watching that horizon. He knows your silhouette. He's looking day in, day out, and he's waiting for that opportunity where he gets to show that he's undignified, and he's going to run towards you, and he's going to lavish you with mercy. This is the Jesus who came all those years ago. This is the story that we get to celebrate on Christmas. And if you notice in the story... The father doesn't even acknowledge the speech that the son works so hard to create. It's almost like he doesn't even care. Like he's not impressed by all those words and all that logic and all that ownership. Because he's not looking for an opportunity to see that you get how bad you've been. He is so not interested in that. He's just interested in the opportunity that you would give him to show the love that he's already had for you. This story shows us that that is so not the God or what God's looking for. He's not looking for an opportunity to be your critic. He says, I didn't come to condemn. I came to save. I didn't come to push you away and show you all the places that you've fallen short. I actually came to invite you close and to hold you and to open my arms wide so that you can have an opportunity to see that even though you've been lost for a while, you haven't lost a cent of your value. You've been sealed by your creator from the day that you were thought of in your mother's womb. God's looking for one thing, and that's the decision that the son makes while he's sitting out in the field with the pigs, seeing what a mess he'd made of things. There's this holy moment, and scripture says he comes to his senses. He starts walking back to his father's house. And man, it's a simple turn. He's eaten with the pigs, and it's just the simple turning back towards the Father. But if anyone's ever been there, you know that that can be so hard to actually swallow your pride. But what makes it a little bit more beautiful and meaningful and easy is to know that this God is not mad at you. He is madly in love with you, and he's looking, and he's waiting for your silhouette to show up on that horizon. So what do we do with this story? 
I think this story presents each of us with an invitation this Christmas. I think it's an invitation to come back home, to make that simple turn. And then while it might be simple, it's not easy, but God is waiting and God is madly in love with you. And maybe for some of you, this is the first time you want to make that turn. And you're saying, I have lived my life and I have come to the end of myself and I realize that I need somebody else to actually, I need a bigger story to be a part of because this is breaking my back. And I don't know how to continue on without something to pour myself into who's going to give me value. And maybe for some of you, it's been a while and you've been living and you've known the Lord, but you want to come back. You realize that there's an opportunity right here in this moment to realize that all God wants is to lavish you with his love. And so maybe there's some of us who just need an opportunity to turn back towards the Father and actually give God the opportunity to show his love for you. And maybe what you needed to hear this Christmas that even though you've been lost, you haven't lost an ounce of your value. And even if you feel crumpled up, it's not the condition that you find yourself in today. It's the seal that was put on your heart. And maybe you needed to hear that God isn't looking for another heart this Christmas. He's actually looking straight at your story. He sees you right now in this moment as you sit in your chair. He sees you and he is longing for that opportunity. He's not mad at you. He's madly in love with you, and he's looking for an opportunity. And the question is, are you willing to give God that opportunity this Christmas? And so as we close, I'm going to ask you to, to close your eyes and, and bow your heads and, and pray with me. And with every eye closed and every head bowed, I just want to give an opportunity this Christmas for you to turn back towards Jesus or for you to turn towards Jesus for the first time. And if you want to take this moment to turn towards Jesus, will you just pray this with me in your head? When you pray, Jesus, I love you. I admit that I can't do this on my own. I need you to be the Lord of my life. Jesus, I invite you into my heart. God, and even in this moment, I turn towards you, not knowing completely all that that entails, but knowing that I trust you. I received your free gift of love. Jesus, I receive your gift of grace and I receive your free gift of salvation in Jesus' name. And if you prayed that prayer with me, I'd love to celebrate with you this morning. And I would never do anything to embarrass you, but I would just love the opportunity to even pray for you. And so could we keep our, our eyes closed and our, our heads bowed for just one more moment? So with every head bowed and with every eye closed, if you prayed that prayer with me today, I would love to celebrate. I would love to pray with you. If you're turning towards for the first time or you're at a spot where you see that God is good and you want to walk back towards your father's house, would you put your hand in the air so I can see it? Praise God. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. I see you. I see you. Thank you, Jesus. All right, Lord Jesus, we are so thankful for this Christmas. God, would we not get distracted by, by anything, God, by any of the decorations, by any of the um, traditions even, God, where they all draw us closer to you and your story. We love you, Lord, and we give this time and this moment to you. In Jesus' name, amen.
Thanks again for watching. We're so glad that you joined us today. Once again, we hope you'll get involved in biblical face-to-face -face community wherever you happen to be today. If you'd like more information about Christ the King Community Church, if you'd like to give online, or if you'd like to submit a prayer request, or even get connected in a small group, you can find out more about us at ctk.church.